Hey there, folks. Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, my weekly Savannah Morning News special. Glad to have you tuned in, as always. Thanks for listening. We have a great episode lined up for you this week. I stopped by the studio of Gabe Torres. Now, Gabe is a multidisciplinary artist. She would call herself, first and foremost, a painter, but it's really hard to sort of describe her works as that. So we start our interview with her kind of giving an explanation as to what her work is and how you might categorize it, and you might be surprised by her answer there. So I'm excited to share that interview with you. If you missed any of the past episodes of Art on the Air or any of the writings that I do for the Savannah Morning News, you can find them at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section, and you can also find my bi-weekly Sunday column in the lifestyle section. Last week, I had the opportunity to speak with Carmen Aguirre and some of the artists over at Grand Bohemian Gallery about everything that she is doing to support local Savannah artists. And that was a really fun conversation. And I think that what she is doing is really important. So check that one out. That one is in the lifestyle section. But let's get into this week's episode. Again, this is Gabe Torres live from her studio talking about her practice her philosophy, and how she doesn't want to be put in a box. Enjoy. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I'm speaking with Gabe Torres, and we are going to, we're in her studio actually right now, which is really cool, and you can kind of hear a little bit of the background noise of that. And Gabe, I want to start off here because I think that you're doing something that's really unique, interesting, maybe a little different, and a little bit hard to describe. I can't just say, oh, you're a sculptor or you're a painter. So I want to ask you kind of to start with, how would you kind of classify your artwork? For somebody who has never seen it, kind of describe the work that you do. I would classify my artwork I classify myself as a painter, first of all. Um, part of my work kind of talks about breaking down the the categorizations that we think that we place mm-hmm. each other in, like decompartmentalizing. So it kind of like goes against my grain to kind of throw myself into, like, this is what I am, this is what I do. But to describe it, everything that I do hints at painting. Like okay. when I'm building the loom, so a traditional loom that you weave off of, um, I use substrates from canvas stretchers and things like that. Okay. So I'm still hinting at painting in a way, even though there is actually no um, paint in the actual uh, loom paintings. And that's what that's the name of the, the woven pieces with the plants in them. Um, but I do do more traditional work with uh, hair on a stick, paintbrush type of things. Okay. Um, I do a little bit of sewing as well. So it's just, I think us, as artists, we don't classify into anything anymore it's like no art is really just one thing anymore it's like really hard to say like oh i'm this i'm that and you know to be in 2022 it's like you have to do something else sometimes you feel like even if you don't it's fine but it's like it's hard to find artists that are just like i'm just this i'm just that so i can i just say undecided is that okay you (laughs) You know that's so funny because that that is true i think like as artists we just tend to just do what needs to be done to enact our vision it doesn't need to necessarily fit into an easily definable box right but that being said like looking at your work it's not like you can go to the 
program at SCAD that teaches you how to do this work. Like, that's what I... It's, it's very much like... To me, it is a combination of a lot of different things. You're bringing a lot of different media to... You know, into your practice. A lot of different techniques and styles. So, let's take kind of a step back. You say that, you know, it's all kind of rooted in painting. So, I presume that means you kind of started as a painter. But maybe kind of take a step back. Like, okay. how did you get... Like, we're seeing these, like, woven pieces and sort mm-hmm. of these... The, some of these paintings that you're doing that are, like, almost these constructions right. in a way. That doesn't start there, though. No. Like, where did you start? Like, where did your kind of... What's your first sort of artistic influences? Like, even when you were a kid. Yeah, and like I that. smile as I think about this. Uh-huh. I know you all can't see that, but I'm smiling. You can hear it in your voice, yeah, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I started drawing when I was, like, seven years old. I'm originally from Philadelphia, and I'm one of four from my mother, all boys, single mom. And my mom, what she did when we were younger, um, I'm paying homage to my mother right now because I love her to death and I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for her. But um, she found something that she felt like we were all really good at and my thing was like art. And at a young age, she was like, ah, that horse that you're drawing looks pretty good for a seven-year-old. So it started off as drawing, then it kind of morphed. But it was always, you know, the traditional fine arts, drawing, um, painting. So that was like my love. And then my undergrad, I painted more... um, and if you think about it, I think all of the elements that make people who they are today are have already been manifesting from when you're little. Mm-hmm. So, like, eventually I started to bring in sewing. My mom is an excellent seamstress. She made my wedding dress. I used to sew with her when I was oh, little. Okay. I am not an excellent seamstress, <laughs> but <laughs> I can, like, patch some things together. So, you know, the the paintings that are sewn together for the... I'm putting my hands with like quotations because it's not 100% canvas that's wrapped around yeah. the stretcher bars. It's sewn fabric together, then it's rewrapped. Um, but I'm sewing there, so that you know that came from my mom. The fibers is is kind of like a cousin. It, well, you know, painting it not painting, but um, sewing is in fibers, so mm-hmm. it, it would make sense for me just to kind of scoot over and start working with looms after taking um, a fibers class at SCAD with my masters. I just fell in love with the the monotonous doing the same thing over and over again. It was relaxing. It was meditative. And even though it's like it clears your mind, it kind of sends your mind on a voyage in a sense. It's like it kind of hops from different thought to different thought. And then I'm just sitting there making these looms and I'm just thinking about all these different avenues that they could go in. So I'm kind of drifting off. But to answer the question, you know, like I started off painting. I started off drawing. My mom kept me in lessons from when I was seven each summer. I did something new. I went to governor school after a while. Um, then, I, And funny enough, my mother said when I was little, I talked about going to SCAD. Oh, I, cool. I don't remember that. And Because you, you grew up in the South. You grew, grew up in South Carolina, I right? did grow up in South Carolina, and I went to Lander University, a small liberal arts school. And honestly, I partied a lot. And, <laughs> and um, <You> know? <laughs> yeah, I just had a good time. And my artwork was, it was good then. But, I, you know, I kind of like, you know, had kids and everything and... Well, I met my husband, and we had kids, and then I was like, I moved to Savannah to attend SCAD, and it's been like 10 years later. (laughs) (laughs) So how about we do this? But, you know, it was was a a gift to be able to go to SCAD, you know. I'm an African-American artist. I was one of two African-American women in the art department at SCAD. So, you know, coming from a small town where, you know, a lot of people of color are told, like, they can't be artists, right. even still now. 
it felt good to say like, you know, I graduated with a 3.95 GPA, even though as artists, we're not talking GPA a lot of times. Yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah, what right. you do, the passion. But I am proud of that. And I went to SCAD and it, it's something that thinking about talking about it when I was little and manifesting it, it's like, wow. Very cool. Yeah. You know? So, anywho. No, it's interesting. That's that's really cool. I, I want to pick up on one thing that you said because I pulled this quote from your from your website, and I really like something that you said about weaving and the impact that it has on your mind when you're working on a weaving. Because so I, I, I pulled this quote. It says, "In a world bent on categorization and clean definitions, I teeter on the edge of everything, yet commit to nothing, surfing my subconscious. I'm an artist before everything: race, class, status, and gender." But here's the, 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 the kicker. This world is a sea, and my instincts are my compass. And I really like that last one. And it kind of made me think, like, when you're working on this, when you were describing working on the weavings, and your mind, your, your mind is kind of wandering down this Yeah, I just said it again, path. didn't I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that quote, because you're, you, you, know, you mentioned being one of the only two African-Americans in the dark apartment that you're in where you grew up and how that was an issue and you're talking about you know you mentioned here race, class, status and gender yet your work doesn't scream that you right. know but it has all that stuff because that's a part of Correct. who you are so maybe if you want to talk a little bit about that I don't know Rob you just nailed that I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I need to say anything else um, so wow it's it's not that I don't know what to say here. It's just like I get flooded with where to start. Um, and I might backtrack, so forgive me if I start one area and then, you know, I no, bounce to fine. something else. But um, I think sometimes, you know, we've gotten to this point in life because we like to categorize things. And it's, you know, if you look at DNA, you can't tell my skin color from your skin color sometimes. You know, it's really hard to tell. Um, so to me, it's like I didn't want to be looked at as oh, this artist is a mother, so her work has plants in it. It must be about mother being a mother. Oh, this artist is African-American, and so and her work shows African-American people, so it must be about race. We have a habit of, like, filling in dots right. before we know. And I even do this myself. I have to, like, retrain my mind to think this. And if you think about, you know, some of the nicest written articles about people of color, they'll, they'll introduce the artist as this African-American artist. And to me, it's like... Not everyone does this, but we don't introduce other artists as like or a white artist, yeah. this this white artist or this Caucasian American artist. It's just so to my work talks about colonialism, and I think colonialism is embedded in even like the smallest things, like hanging a deer antler on the for decoration in your house has colonial roots. Yeah. Not going into all that, but it does. So even like how you place your forks outside, everything has roots of colonialism, depending on, you know, who's the colonizer at that time. So with with colonialism, basically what I'm saying is to to bypass or to like evolve over colonialism, because white, black, yellow, whoever you are, we all need to take steps to like mentally surpass this. So in order to mentally surpass this, I think one step is categories, like not placing yourself in these categories that are like some not always 100% colonialism because male female that was before this but at the same time like this 
hell-bent view that we have and how we, you know, categorize women and men can come from that. So I think in order to do that, it's like, I don't want to be classified as a as a black artist, as a female artist, it's like, I'm just an artist before all, like before race, gender, motherhood. It's like, that's what I want to be. And like, it's like, Oh, well, who, who are you? What are you? Like, like I'm an artist. Yeah. That's it. You know, like that's where it ends. It's like, right. I'm not a black artist. I'm not a mother artist. It's like, this is who I am. You know, I don't want to be classified. So that is like my first step of not, you know, the same thing with like gender roles and, you know, LGBTQ issues, which I'm not going to touch too far on because like, I don't talk about what I don't know about and I don't know enough to talk about it. Right. But I do think that we've gotten so hell bent on categories that it's like, we can't even like free ourselves to free our mind, you know? And I do think a lot of these like traditions and customs that are like over the superstructure come from colonialism. Um, so basically that's where that ties into yeah, that's really interesting because it is a lens, and so like it distorts what how we look at things when you are having to pass over all of those categories, as you say, before mm-hmm. you actually get to the thing. In your case, like an art piece that you're looking at, you're actually passing through all these other filters, and it's right. like, how does that influence the way that you're looking at it right. versus looking at something without any of that? And what does it mean? How is it different when you do it that way? But I do want to kind of mention something because you are a parent and yeah. <laughs> that does influence your work. I know that you've used like All of old it does. clothes and yeah. from your kids as like part of your artwork and stuff like that. I'm a parent too. Yeah. And like I know that since I had I had a kid, it is impossible for me to not be influenced by my child oh, in the way that I make the work. So yeah. I wonder like you have two kids if you could just like kind of talk a little bit about that, because oh my gosh, I mean, your life changes entirely when you have kids, and it does. certainly we are always artists, but that does influence the way we make art. So before I go into that question, I think that it is really important to state this, though. So although I am not wanting to conform to a specific category, that doesn't mean that I'm not made up of all the categories. Right. So it's you know, it's, I am a mom. I am a person of color. I am, you know, female, um, and it's, you know, however that classification falls in your eyes, it doesn't really matter to me, but, um, my work encompasses everything. I don't, I don't want to, like I've mentioned the categorization of things. Um, I don't want to be compartmentalized to something, you know? So it's like with my work, it, it takes bits of pieces. You know, I do represent though, you know, I represent really hard that I'm a mom. <laughs> I represent really hard that I'm black, that I'm a female. I do represent, but I'm like, no, you can't just like put me there. And now like I'm all of that stuff and so much more. Um, but with my work, you know, I think that through my journey of figuring out like that, my work mainly surrounds like colonialism, some hit, some hints, hints in sustainability. I went through, you know, different materials. I mean, as a parent, you're like, you have things just piling up in your house. You know, you have toys piling oh up. You know, people buy your kids this. <laughs> they buy your kids. You've got clothes that are out growing. They like, grow out two. of toys, clothes, everything. Oh, my overnight. gosh. There's like five pairs of shoes under our trampoline right now. <laughs> they leave them under there, and then all of a sudden, it's like they don't fit two weeks later. I'm like, you left your shoes outside. We haven't been able to find them. So it's like we were piling up with stuff, and just, you know, it was it was disgusting to me in a sense. Because we were getting all these toys at, like, Christmas and stuff. So now we've gotten to the point, like, for relatives, I'll tell them, like, they can have one toy, like, if clothes if they need them, and, you know, um, one educational thing. 
Like, they're not allowed to have, our Christmases are very small. We do, like, a tree that can be planted into the ground. We try to do, like, a sustainable Christmas in a sense. There's, like, five gifts for everyone max. That's it. So that kind of was the start of, like, you know, I'm getting tired of all this stuff. I'm getting tired of filling the landfills, you know. And I don't live a totally eco-friendly life. It, it That's what my new work is actually going into, and I'll tell you all about that. That's good, because that, I actually have a question that I want to yeah, ask Yeah, it's segueing into that. Um, but it's, like... It's, it's hard to live a sustainable lifestyle with a family. Same thing like restaurants. It's hard to live a sustainable, be a sustainable restaurant. You know, it's, it's, these things are, but they take yeah. time. So each time you're evolving, it's like some of my pieces talk about that evolution and like motherhood, trying to live a sustainable life, like being a person, like I grew up poor, you know, like all these conundrums that, you know, make me who I am. So after a while, I started like saving their clothes. I was saving toys. I was smashing toys. I was trying to figure out like, how can I smash these things back together? And they're cool. And um, the toys never came about, unfortunately. Not yet, at least. Not yet. Not yet. Not Not yet. yet. Yeah. But as far as the fabric, you know, I've got fabric in here from my husband's side of the family. He's Puerto Rican. Um, From my family, from great grandparents in here. And I just have been saving it. And so the, the meaning is literally embedded in the material. Right, for sure. Yeah, it can be like what the material actually physically is made from, where it came from, or it can be who it belonged to. Like I've, mm-hmm. I have some of Brian's, my husband's, his old like paint sweaters, just be just saving it for whenever there's a piece maybe talking about Brian and I. I have scarves that came from Brian's great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it's like... They, and it, like where has that been? Like what has that journey has that been on? For that person, you know what I mean. Yeah, or, you know, it's, like it's what, wild. Yeah, and know? that is embedded in those things. It is. Um, and when my family saw, there's a piece called Abilas Jones and Torres, and it's like all the scarves from Ryan's grandmothers. Like I, I took a road trip to Philadelphia to see my side of the family, and as literally as I came down the coast, I stopped at multiple families' houses and got clothes from them. And so there's a in the middle the two two pieces like the fabric comes together and there's like this they're like tapered and then i start embedding our kids clothes in there ah, because it's like a the cool. lineage yeah, comes yeah, together yeah, yeah, yeah. so i mean it, they had it just when my family saw it they were just they had no idea at first what it was they're like what is this <laughs> it's but they like literally it. the like, story of their lives it is the story of their lives it's their dna <laughs> strands morphing together and coming together and like creating this new era oh. of, of kids you oh, know that's so. so cool i love that i mean because i and i and i and i feel that because uh because you know i do have a kid and yeah that, it, it, going up the line has become more important to me since i've had a kid too you know what i mean like you want them to have this sort of connection to who they where they come from you know right I mean? yeah that, where they're going uh-huh. um and there's th- this connection to the earth so this is going to sound really weird but funny but I look at my kids as, <laughs> and I say, like, I look at them as, like, weapons to fight, like, issues with global warming. So we're very, we talk about, um, like, eco-friendly stuff. Like, that's our dinner table topic. You know, oh, it's really? like, okay. and when we talk about jobs for the future, I don't, like, you know, my son might want to be a firefighter and stuff like that. And that's really cool. And I try not to morph what they would want to be. But I also suggest ideas that are surrounding eco-friendly. Like, you could be someone that creates something that cleans up the river. You know, like, mm-hmm. I push these things. Like, my kids are funny. If they see litter outside, they'll point at it and I'll say, litter, 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 litter. So, like, I'm training them to go out and to just, you know, spread hope and light into the world. Right. But at the same time, like, love the earth. Because, bef- you know, if we have all these issues surrounding, like, race, sex, um, maternity, whatever it may be. We're not worried about the planet. 
we don't even have a discussion to talk about because the planet's gone. So to me, there's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. a higher purpose, you know, to be lovers and to be compassionate about all these things. But first, it's like love the planet that you've been given. And even though I can't 100% at this point in my life evolve into where I want to be sustainably, I can show them the right way. And eventually I'll get there and they'll know already, like recycle. They recycle so much stuff. They'll use different things for, you know, toys and stuff upstairs. So it's like it starts now. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's it's cool because your journey into conservation, environmentalism, and things like that in your work, it's interesting how it stemmed from a really personal thing, which is we have too much crap in our house. Yeah, I was hoarding too. Yeah, to this now. This is a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> <is> really bad. <laughs> uh, to, but to being like thinking more globally and also passing it on to your kids because I understand that too because you know it's it's a concern for me as well it's like what is my kid gonna how is my kid gonna what about their kids yeah and exactly they'll be mad at us they'll be like those parents from like three generations ago didn't care about us no no I care I care about you guys y'all are in my line you know so well, it's you know, it's always us artists who care in that in that way. Yeah. Um, it is interesting. So talk, talk to me about the new series. You said you're working on something new here where you're kind of hitting on something. It's, it's so brand new. It's a, it's a baby idea to where, like, I'm still having to figure out where I'm getting the research information from. Like, I haven't figured out books on this topic just yet, but I'm kind of coming back to the beginning a bit with talking about um, sustainability and like um, fabric and where fabric comes from and then like I was reading an article the other day that suggested I haven't checked the facts on this just yet that the line of like some areas that were colonized are where like industrial areas came up for textiles so so I'm combining colonialism with sustainability and then we're also we you know you can factually talk about the fact that you know we're not supposed to say I would say less socially economic advanced cultures or or places because third world is actually taboo. You're not supposed to say that. It's actually insulting to say. But, you know, places that aren't as grown up as we are, I guess that might be a more simple but nicer way to say it in a sense. I don't want to be insulting towards, but like they have factories like that we house, you know, like that's that these areas are like. So as we're talking about areas that are like living in poverty that have these factories in them and so I'm trying to rope in like you know are these factories what what are they producing I know they're producing all types of different things so it's like sustainability versus colonialism how do they connect you know I often feel as if sometimes if I had I was financially financially uh, more sound that I could afford to live a more eco-friendly life and sometimes I feel like the reason why I'm not financially sound is because I'm of color um, it's like you're talking about um, generational wealth or just, you know, things that prejudice or um, what word am I? Privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, it's a privilege sometimes to be a different color in this country for years now. So who knows if that didn't exist where I would be? How would I be able to support, you know, this planet better if I could afford to buy, you know, glass versus plastic for maple syrup? Yeah. It boils down to even some of the smallest things like that. Like, you know, when you want to live a more greener life, sometimes it does cost more money. You know, you want to buy olive oil out of the glass versus, you know, vegetable oil, which is worse for the environment, but it's cheaper. So it's like, in turn, like, have I been set up in a way in life to support the environment in a better way? 
I don't know. I don't. I'm still exploring this. Yeah, I mean, like you know, look at organic vegetables and fruits and things mm-hmm. like, or, or any organic anything is like way more expensive. Shop at Whole Foods versus shopping at you know, like Bilo or something, right. and you're gonna see a big difference in the prices yeah. there. So it's like. To a certain extent, there's an economic decision that's being made on whether or not you can support, like, being eco-friendly. I mean, right. it's just, that's that's just the, the truth. And I'll admit that, you know, when money is tight for us, it's like, well, I'm buying the domestic and rather than the, right. the organics. Because it's like, I have to eat and feed exactly. my child. Yes. You yeah, know and it's I unfortunate. Mean? And I'm not saying that there is a connection just yet. But I am exploring where there could be a connection. I was talking to one of my professors at SCAD, um, and he said for sure, he was like, I definitely think there's a connection between colonialism and sustainability. And that was the end of that conversation, because at that time I was discussing colonialism with, you know, other avenues, other cases. But now um, the more I'm like working with fabric and materials, barbed wire, hemp, um, you know, it's it's come more apparent that I'm like... What is this connection? You know, what what could be related here? So I can't wait to see how that how that series ends up going. We'll, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of start to round this off a little bit, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about this because I know that you've worked with Suzanne Jackson, who is like she's so amazing. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what have you done with her? How do you know her? What's that been like? I worked with Suzanne. It was kind of like it felt it felt like a, a fluke almost because it wasn't. When I reached out to her, I really just reached out to her for, like, advice about, like, what something that she was working on. And she messaged me back, and she was like, oh, by the way, I'm looking for an intern. And at the time, I thought it was taboo even to reach out. But someone came into my studio at SCAD, and they were like, oh, this work, it, it looks really great. And they were like, "There's, an, have you heard of Suzanne Jacks? And I was like, yeah, I just saw her work. Like, you know, she does, she, you know, you look like you have some, some, you know, some inspiration from her. Um, agree. I, I agree. Yeah, with that. and this yeah. is before I even like I'd already been creating. We were just on two different paths, and mm-hmm. they were like, "Why don't you reach out to her and ask her about some of the stuff she's doing?" I was just like, "You can do that." <laughs> she's like a celebrity. People so. don't realize that you could just like email people. Like, and I do. I know. It I was know. like I was emailing Will Smith or something. So <laughs> I didn't know that I could just do that. I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm just I'm just gonna send an email to her." So I did. She responded. I uh, sent her my work. Um, she, you know, she hired me for an internship in which she was awesome, you know, and it was one of the most mentally freeing internships I've ever had as far as I got to archive work from 50 years ago right. that belonged to her. She is prolific, too. I mean, yes. all the stuff that she's done. But in this archival, you got to see the things that weren't which is freeing. You got to know that every artist, it's kind of like reading that Jack, Jack Whitten book where he keeps a diary of his entire life and you see the highs and the lows and you know that this is normal for an artist. Right. That these right, things right. happen. Everything you create is not going to be simply beautiful. And a lot of the stuff was beautiful, but it was, it felt okay. It felt okay to just doodle because I'm seeing the great Suzanne Jackson's work from at this point in time where she was experimenting you know going through transitions in her artwork the Mm -hmm. things that the public doesn't get to see and like it made me very much comfortable that in the words of one of my professors just saying nobody gives uh, what you're making just make 
And as as of that point, the combination of those two powers in my life, it was like, just make some stuff, you know? Like, oh, yeah. don't always 100% worry about the concept just yet, you know? Just, just make some things. So it was like, just being able to look at her artwork and to have conversations about where she was at one point in her life, who her influences are, you know, the struggles that she's come across. It was just like... It's going to be okay. This is normal. It's okay if your work looks like this sometimes. It'll look like this sometimes, you know. So to me, it was just a very rewarding internship, being able to talk with her, um, her telling me she liked my hair. (laughs) (laughs) She's so gracious, too. Like, when I met her, she gave me an hour private tour of her show for, like, the radio show and stuff. And it was just like... It was like she didn't have anywhere else to be. She just gave me her full time. And I was like... No way! And, and it was the same way. I was a little starstruck, too. I'm like, we're in the museum, and we're talking about this retrospective about her work. And she's, like, just so down to earth. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so genuine. It was just really cool. So and that's that's. I'm going to awesome. toot her horn, because I don't 100% know if she mentions that her work hints in sustainability. But it does. Her studio, which is, you know, a dream. You know, she also, like myself, lives in studio at the same place. Like, it's not, she didn't live inside yeah, yeah. of it, but, you know, the in same house. house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she wakes up, goes downstairs, makes a cup of coffee, goes out. I think she's more of a tea drinker. But um, <laughs> the point of what I'm saying is, like, even, like, the containers that she keeps her paintbrushes in, um, everything is recycled in her studio. Like, the smallest yeah. things are just, you would, like, are you, I, is that like the lettuce container right there that you have your paint sitting in? And, like, oh, no, so it's cool. like no matter how big you get, she still kept it that simple, but efficient at, in the same. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, she she just got, like, the Joan Mitchell Award, like, two or three years ago when I was interning. That was, like, a newer thing that just happened in her awesome life. And, like... But she still has, like, smaller, just, you know, recycled things in her own. It, it made also me feel okay with, like, having a studio visit and, like, do I need to look, like, a little bit more? It's like, no, this is cool. Just be you, right? Yeah, this yeah, is, this yeah, is yeah, awesome. Yeah. Like, to me, you look cooler by using things that just, you know, a coffee can, a Brustello coffee can. Use that for something versus, like, going and buying containers. Why? You already get containers every day when you I go know, grocery right? shopping. What are we doing this stuff for? <laughs> So I thought that was just the most... She never mentioned it. We ne- I don't know if we even had a conversation about it, but it was just something that I was just in awe when I walked through her studio and noticed, like, like man, why didn't I think about that? <laughs> right? Like, she's done so much artistically, but then again, she's just another one of us she artists. You know what I mean? It's really cool. That's yeah. really cool. Well, look, I want to wrap this up. We've been talking for a while, Gabe, and I want people to be able to have a chance to connect with you. So... Gabe Torres, if people are interested in learning more about you and your work, what's the best way for people to do that? How do people connect with you? I would say the best way is actually through email. So it's G Torres, but no S on the end, T-O-R-R-E 23 at student.scad.edu. Very cool. And of course, uh, GabrielleElizabethTorres.com is your website, which is really cool. I mean, you get a lot of little things there. Yeah, definitely my website. And I think there's a separate email on there that you can actually go to. Either one I check religiously. So that's why I say it's the best because other means of um, communication, I'm not really 100%. I'm not a social media person, so 
that's probably not the best way to always get me. It could take like days for me to answer them. But on my, I'm always on my like my emails. I always look on those. Yeah. Either one of those. So just go for it. Awesome, Gabe Torres. Thank you so much for being on Art on the Air today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.